Welcome back, fuckers, to Sports Off Broad Street. And once welcome again, back. welcome back. Once again, you're left with Benner hosting, and that's never a good idea. As Show broadcast. <laughs> well, Stotzi and Big Zoe are on hiatus, hiatus for different reasons. But I'm joined again by the Dragon Wrangler, Jeremy Phelps. What I lost up? a lot of bets. That's why I keep winding up on this show. Is it because you lost a lot of bets or is it because this show just fucking kicks ass? Well, I mean, a little bit of both. <laughs> What's up, my guy, though? I haven't seen you on this show in a little bit, or at least I haven't been on the show in a little bit. It's true. Technically, I've been on longer than you because I was on last week. So, Fine. It's fine. People don't need to know where I am. The better, the, the less you know about me, the better. Hey, you know, I'm, I'd like to say I'm the only person on this show that's now done a solo episode with every member of this show. I've done one with you, one with Zoe, and I did one with Stoats on Plastered one time, just the two of us. So, just a man of all trades. I'm just here. Well, hey, here, going on. here is better than nowhere, and we always – and what's even better is we always have some album recommendations and interesting facts to start off every sods episode. Jeremy, as always, cause you're the guest, I'm going to let you go off first. What's your interesting fact this week for the bit for everyone. So my interesting fact for everyone is um, grand theft auto. The video game has obviously been very controversial for a while. A lot of uh, parents in the world aren't a fan of it. But did you know, Benner, that the Grand Theft Auto franchise right now has lawsuits that total over a billion dollars over the course of the franchise uh, for either copyright, which makes sense, or influencing young people to commit sexual and illegal acts? Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously it has nothing to do with Karen's parenting. It's 100% the video game that little Timmy played. So billion dollars later, here we are. I mean, yeah, Grand Theft Auto is obviously the reason why I did all the horrible shit I did in high school, all the vandalism and joyriding. Yeah. If I hadn't been, uh, you know, exposed to it through a video game, you know, me seeing it in all the movies, TV shows, uh, just real life, none of that would have, you know, factored in. But the video games would have done it. It's what put me over the edge. Or, you know, every evening news broadcast where, like, here's, like, 30 horrible things going on in the world, and here's it uncensored but watch out for this video game i just imagine there being like an amish family somewhere who's like we don't believe in electricity except for xbox but you know that damn grand theft auto we never should have bought that for little jedediah he was such a good boy i felt so bad because like uh when, when i when i was growing up like you know my parents were always like you know the fox news like whatever fox news says that's not happening and so yeah. I didn't get Grand Theft Auto until I was 17 just because my parents refused to buy it for me. Well, yeah. when I was like 13 or 14, I went over to a friend's house and when, my, when I got, when I get my dad came to pick me up, like we were playing Grand Theft Auto and he, and he was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, he's got it. Why can't I have it? Parents, what are you doing? I'm just beating some prostitutes right now. I don't want to pay them. Turns out the parents didn't even, uh, my, the, my friend's parents didn't even know what the game was and they just, Bought it for him, and so like I accidentally threw my friend under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a shit friend, is really what my fact of the week is. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, Benner's a shit friend, and parents don't pay attention to what's actually going on in video games. All right, no, that's uh, that's a pretty good fact here. Benner, what you got for a fact? Can it top that? Well, I got. I do actually have a very interesting animal fact, but I also do have an album recommendation. Go with the fact first. Did you know in the country of Israel? 
uh, Jeremy, it is illegal to bring a bear to the beach. I did not know that, which is ironic because I don't know that Israel has a beach nor bears. <laughs> you got to watch out, man. I, you know, that's really just keeping the general population there safe. You know, what, and, and all honest truth, what it probably is, is, is Israel's just sees a lot of shit go on the, in the sky because of like, yeah, political merit, military aspects over, over there. So probably what to them, they probably think bears mean beats. Beats means Battlestar Galactica, and we don't need more shit in the sky. The logic does make sense there. Um, now, question, is it illegal for me to take a bear to, like, say, a supermarket there? It does not say. You just cannot bring a bear. Just the beach. Okay. You just cannot what bring if, a bear to the beach. So, in theory, I can take it to a supermarket. Now, what if the supermarket is on the beach and the bear doesn't touch the sand? I say loophole. <laughs> I think we just beat the system. That's really what it comes down to. Hi, I'm. <laughs> well, hi, I'm. I'll spin that dreidel. Let's go, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, but yeah, no. So that's my interesting fact because that's just it's just one of those laws that just why is that in place unless there was this a bear attack on an Israel beach years ago? It's a lot of them, man. If you look at weird laws throughout the fifty states, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like you can't walk an alligator on a leash and that kind of stuff. And like it happened clearly, or it exists clearly because this happened at some point in history. Like. There was one point in history where a dude pulled up in an ice cream truck and the bear ran out on the beach and they're like, wow, now you can't take your bear to the beach. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the only logic on there is that there was an ice cream truck. It checks out, man. If it worked <laughs> for Borat, it can work for Israel. That's a fair point. Well, you know, that's my interesting fact, but always I do like to give an album recommendation when I'm on sobs. And this week, my album recommendation is uh, Blink-182's third, third studio album, Enema of the State. Um, to, I think to me, one of those be- one of the best pop punk albums of the early two thousands. One that made them, I would say, very mainstream. Obviously, it had, had one they hit it big on. Definitely when they hit them big on. Obviously, it has the songs. Um, Damn it, all the small things. And yeah. I'm blinking. What's yeah? Thank you. What's my age again? But I think what the funniest thing about this album is that another interesting fact that comes with it. Um, for those, obviously the the artwork of the cover is very significant. Um, the actress is a porn star, Janine uh, Linda, Linda Mulder was her name, and they put her to be the uh, a terrible porn name. Yeah, first off, that's your stage name. You couldn't think of anything right. better. I appreciate that she's held to her morals and she's like, no, if I'm going to be a pornographic film star, I am not getting a stage name. I am keeping my name that my birth mother gave me. My name is Oscar worthy and it's fucking stained. Well, I get that POV shots, uh, <laughs> but I'm winning an AVN award is with my real name on it. So my grandkids will believe me. I want my kids to look up to something. Just look, I looked up to that male actor. <laughs> But the the, hey, inter- the interesting fact is the members of Blink-182, they didn't know she was a porn star. They thought she was the same model and that just was hired to do the album cover. They didn't sure. they didn't sure know. They did. I know. Yeah. Sure yeah. You know, Tom yeah, no. Tom, Tom sure didn't did. know. Tom didn't know, obviously. Um, but yeah, they did, apparently they didn't know until the producer of the album told them. You know, respect for uh, playing one of the greatest practical jokes in the history of practical jokes on that, honestly. Like, I, I fucking yes. that producer. Yeah, I mean, but it was also like a very... What's his, I'm drawing a blank on the producer's name. Um, I had it just here, so give me a second. 
Jerry Finn, dude who is very famous in yeah, in the, yeah. I mean, he made um, Green Day's Dookie, so in the punk scene, he's very well known. But yeah, apparently he hid from Blink One Eight Two of all bands that the cover girl is a porn star. Respect, respect <laughs> to that guy. Well, hey, you know, one it's one of the most random things I can bring up on Sobs, but also on Sobs, we like to think outside the box with our sports topics. And Jeremy, I know you introduced some interesting topics that we could discuss this week. One yeah. of them, one of them starts off in in the world of uh, mixed martial arts fighting. It does. Um, so I came across an article this week, and so you know the backstory on it is that Francis Naganu, world heavyweight champion, um, had his title stripped a while ago because he couldn't come to contract negotiations with the UFC, and so. Since then, they've had a title fight. Bones Jones made his return, submitted Cyril Gaon in the first rounds. Um, you know, great to see Bones back after three-year hiatus. But, um, you know, I, I found it kind of interesting this guy could get to world number one pound for pound, be the most dangerous man on the planet, and then just say to UFC, nope, I'm good. Don't want your contract. And so, you know, this week um, he actually signed with PFL, um, which is basically like ESPN's kind of knockoff version that either has older UFC fighters who are no longer in the league or like younger guys trying to get called up to the league in it is really kind of the way to describe it. Okay. Um, but, you know, long story short, um, I, I did a little bit of research and well, I actually I just read the article and reading the Ooh. article, the reason Francis Naganu uh, turned down the UFC contract had nothing to do with money. Um, Dana White was prepared to make him the highest paid uh, heavyweight in the history of the UFC, more than Brock Lesnar made, more than Stipe, more than anybody in the history of the UFC um, as, as far as heavyweights go. And so Naganu was fine with the money, but he asked for a couple other things and he didn't expect to get all of them, but he just wanted a couple of them. And the UFC said no. And so reading off the list here, the things that he wanted, because he's from Africa, he wanted the right to sponsorship. The UFC said no. He wanted health insurance for UFC fighters universally, not just for himself, but for all of them in a sport where your job is literally to get punched in the head. Hmm. Um, and then he wanted a fighter advocate to represent the fighters in meetings. So essentially when UFC is having like a board meeting about where does the future of this go, right now the fighters don't have representation. It's essentially the board makes a decision and the fighters just find out about it. He wanted just a member to be part of those meetings. UFC said no to all three. And I love the UFC. Dana White is not a good human being for a lot of reasons, but neither here nor there. I guess for me and, and kind of the topic that I want to talk about is so when Francis signed and went over to um, went over to PFL, they gave him obviously a lot of money to be there, but they did a couple other things that the UFC wouldn't as well. Um, so when he signed over, because obviously he's going to be the face of them now, yeah. under the terms of the agreement, he's going to be PFL pay-per-view exclusive, which whatever, he would have been pay-per-view exclusive for UFC anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but they're going to make him an executive and equity owner of PFL Africa, which is a regional league they're getting ready to start up um, in 2025 because he's from Africa. They're going to basically make him an owner of that. And then um, with that, they're also giving him a spot on the PFL's global advisory board, which includes Randy Couture, who's another three-time UFC champion. So, you know, I find it interesting that we're at a spot where um, the UFC is essentially saying to you, hey, nobody is important enough for us to change the way we do things. But the PFL is saying, no, you know, you're important enough for us to literally make you different than anybody else out there. And, and I guess the conversation I want to have not so much about Naganu as it is like 
in UFC and sports in fight sports, like, is there, I guess, are the athletes unfairly treated and what needs to change? Or if the PFL does take over the UFC, where is the UFC making some mistakes right now? Like if you're willing to let Francis Naganu go, what do we need to do differently here? I mean, so I, the the easy answer is yes. UFC is just absolutely doing their athletes dirty with with some of these basic things, like the basic demands that Uganda is presenting, like one health insurance and one a fire representative, fighter representative in these big board meetings that decide the future of UFC. Yeah, like you have like UFC wants to like. Dana White wants to brand UFC on the same level as the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and they're like, we're taking over and we're on the same level with all these other big um, corporations and and, and entertainment companies. It's like, okay, sure, you can say you're up there in success, but the difference right now with, yeah, Roger Goodell is a piece of shit human being too, but he does does make sure that the NFL, both current and past players, have health insurance as well as representation in leadership. He's leadership person for different reasons. Dana White beats his wife. Yes. Roger Goodell, we can't confirm whether or not he does. I would assume not. He probably kicks children in the face, but he also finds it funny. So, you know, here and over there. That's fair. But, yeah, you got me way off track. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, okay, let me rephrase it. The NFL who hid concussions for the longest time still make sure that their athletes both current and past have access to health insurance and make sure that those players those athletes are represented in league board meetings right. for, for the future of the sport ufc which like you said is a sport designed to almost essentially guarantee you a concussion every time you compete multiple yeah multiple does not provide health insurance or fighter representation. That's just like, you see where you're fucking up immediately? Well, and and I think the other layer to it as well is worth bringing up here is Dana White's response to Naganu was you can afford health insurance. And yeah, Francis can because Francis is the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. But there's other dudes who are working full-time jobs and they literally, they fight three times a year. And that's the only time they're in any way associated with the UFC. I mean, there's... Guys who are ranked in the top 15 who are like Ally Aquintas was, I think he's retired now, was a really good lightweight fighter. And he's from Long Island. He was a real estate agent on Long Island his entire fighting career because he wasn't getting paid enough money to make that his full-time job. And so I think there's a certain layer to that of, all right, so people are going out there, your athletes are going out there and risking their bodies, risking their life every day for you. And in return, you're telling them, no, you can afford health insurance on your own. Like, the guys that aren't the highest end, like the guys that aren't on pay-per-view every single time, the guys that aren't Adesanya or Jones or Naganu or Nagamidov, like the the lower end guys, if they're lucky, if you get the fight of the night, you get a $50,000 bonus. If not, you just get what you get for fighting and everybody's contract's different. But mm-hmm. for a lot of these guys, the, the payoff of fighting versus not having health insurance seems like a no-brainer that it's not just as simple as we'll just go buy health insurance especially like when i i would almost say probably like at least 75 percent of the fighters that are in the ufc circuit probably will never see a title fight no 
I would go even higher than that. I'd if, say 80, 85%. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm being generous. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, no, it's like, cause Daniel White, we, it's very well known. Daniel White handpicks who he was in those title fights on the yep. main cards and everything. And, you know, there's, there are some guys that, yeah, he does have them signed, but they're going to be signed in those like mid to low cards their entire mm-hmm. career and they can fight all they want. Yep. But well, and so the other layer to this, it's also kind of interesting to me um, is there's one other piece of this that the PFL allowed that the UFC didn't. So if you're a UFC fighter, you're exclusive to the UFC. You're not allowed to engage in any other kind of fighting sport for money. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of guys like Israel Adesanya was like a world-class kickboxer. Like, yeah. so is Rosenio Rosenstruck. When you come to the UFC, you can't kickbox anymore. And so like McGregor, when he fought Mayweather, basically had to get Dana White to allow McGregor to box Mayweather, right? And he did, and it happened, and and whatever. Francis Ngannou signing with the PFL, um, he's he's a boxer. He's he punches. He doesn't take guys down. That's not his game. He's just you know the guy's two hundred and ninety pounds when he's not cutting to make weight. So he just he punches really hard. That's what he does. The PFL is going to, outside of fighting in the PFL in this contract, also allow him to pursue professional boxing on top of that. Yeah, which, and I was, that was one thing I was going to dive into because it's almost, it's a, it's not almost, it is a massive hypocritical stance from Dana White that you're going to let Nagano, or you're not going to let Nagano, who is the number one ranked fighter and a Facebook organization that brings you millions of dollars, you're not going to let him take part in a, a professional boxing career on the side. But you had no issue with Connor, you know, basically just walking out of his contract and coming back a year and a half later, like nothing happened. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I don't know, for me, it's almost a more interesting topic here because if you are the UFC, I think there's pros and there's cons to allowing it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, say the UFC and Naganu says, I want to take up boxing as well. Well, the pro to it, and I think it kind of gets overlooked, is you're going to get more publicity because of it. Because if Francis Naganu, who is essentially the face of your organization in a lot of ways, is now picking up more fans through his boxing career, he brings more fans to the UFC. Now, obviously, the con to this is it's a fighting sport. It's a contact sport. If he gets knocked out boxing, that's not good for his longevity of his career, and he probably gives you less fights. But I almost wonder if you're the UFC, I get that you're the big dog in a little pond. Like, and I understand that you have total control and you don't want to let anybody else swoop in like that. But I think there's a layer to it of the publicity that comes with it because you're not the NFL, you know, like I I agree letting an NFL player in the XFL would be stupid. You're not gaining publicity by guys playing in the XFL. I think there's a lot of people who watch boxing who don't watch MMA. And I think there's a level to it of, yeah, the guy might lose a couple fights in his UFC career and retire a year or two sooner. But I almost feel like the fans you could gain in return almost makes it more worthwhile to where I think you're actually shooting yourself in the foot by not allowing him to pursue boxing while he's fighting in the UFC. Which is ironic now because of the sort of key moves in the re- in the past months from the UFC. Now they've gained – they're going to gain WWE fans, Yeah, which is like I don't know. That's that, under the same umbrella now. Yeah, yeah. But when there's, there's arguably way more money in boxing but, fans – do you think they're going to gain WWE fans, though? And the only reason I say that is because so many people have already transitioned between the two. I feel like anybody who knows the WWE already knows the MMA. Like, Rousey went back and forth. Um, Brock Lesnar obviously went back and forth. Like, I just think there's a level to it of, like, if you know one, you basically have to know the other just because of how many people have interchanged between the two. 
You're 100% right. And I guess that's more plays in my point. It's like you're not really gaining much more traction on that. Like your fan base and your, and your viewership's probably not going to go up that much. Whereas, as boxing fans and like, and those that follow boxing are such a very specific crowd that you would have actually probably increased your numbers. Yeah. I think, you know, I would assume like I'm a UFC fan. I'm not really a big boxing guy. Like I know Same. boxing, I know of it, whatever. Like UFC is just my thing. It, it for me, boxing is a little bit antiquated. I feel like it was like the thing before the UFC, before MMA came around and now it, but anyway, um, you know, but I think there's like a level of like the guys who are like the old school boxing and haven't switched over yet. See it as like, oh, well, there's wrestling, you know, it's not boxing. It's not hitting. If you can see a guy like Nagano and be like, hey, this guy's the world champ in UFC and he's dominating the boxing circuit. I think you just open it up to a new market of guys who just don't quite understand what it is. Yeah. And now you got to And now the UFC has got a situation where they have a secondary league coming up. PFL yeah. that I actually think like give it time and if they do and if, it's, if they do it smart and do it right could be legit competition to UFC especially yeah. with some of the guys that they've already signed both current and past fighters like we mm-hmm. know that we know there's already a, a bunch of like you know smaller amateur leagues of mixed martial arts kickboxing that don't impact the UFC at all but when you start getting guys like Randy Coder and Nugano to sign on it's just like yeah. you got to take at least notice at some point one, you know, the PFL does it differently too. The PFL does it essentially as like a tournament style. So like where the UFC will be like, um, you're the number one, but you've lost the champ twice. We're going to go to like the number five. Like, so their next pay-per-view, Amanda Nunes is the two belt champ. She's the greatest female fighter of all time. And she's beaten everybody in both divisions. So yeah. the next pay-per-view fight is her against Arena Aldana, who's the number five fighter who hasn't beaten anybody in the top four yet because she literally has nobody left to fight at this point. Oof. And so the PFL does it differently where it's just like, it's a tournament essentially. So it's like, all right, if you beat him, you get the winner of this fight. So there's no, like, there's no guessing game of, do you fight him? Does this person fight him? Like, you know, Michael Chandler came in at the lightweight level and when Khabib retired, the title was vacant. And they essentially did that. They essentially had a tournament where they said, all right, the top four guys, we're going to go, 2v2 and the winners get each other for the belt which was super cool like i appreciate that they did that but they brought this dude in michael chandler who had no ufc fights under his career in his entire career he'd fought outside of the ufc they're like all right you're one of the big four because you're a big name coming in people were like i have no idea who michael chandler is so michael chandler goes out there loses to poirier poirier fights mcgregor and freaking dominates mcgregor but i don't know man like it's just like i think difference is a good thing I think it's just, it's, you know, and Big Zoe and I kind of talked, or I guess do we talk? I think Big Zoe and I talked about this with XFL last week, but like for the PFL, there's a certain level of you, which is like, just be minor league for the ex, for uh, the UFC. But now they have Dana White's contender series, which is essentially their own minor league. And yeah. so I don't know. I think them getting Nagano is a big shot at the UFC of like, hey, like you don't want us to be your minor league. We're going to try to contend with you. We're going to try to take you over. The the only downside I truly see to the PFL's like tournament system yeah. is like you said, like you know, you you got you got a fighter up there that's run the table on everyone, and like no one, and she looks unstoppable. And you got and you got you got another fighter that's gonna that's gonna verse her. 
and that fighter hasn't beaten a single person in the top five, and that's your main card pay-per-view, that's not going to be the most appealing because you kind of already know where that's going to go, unfortunately. No, which is true. And and don't get me wrong, man. Sometimes you surprise the world. Like, yeah, so you do. Nunez lost the belt to Juliana Pena, who should not have beaten Amanda Nunez. Nunez was like, I want to say she was like a plus 1,000 or a minus 1,000 favorite in that fight. Um, you know, freaking uh, Adesanya lost his belt and just got it back. But I don't know. I, I think there's just a certain level of, from a marketing perspective, and not even from a fan's perspective, because from a fan's perspective, like if the big guys are fighting, you want to see the big guys fight, right? Like I'm going to watch Amanda Nunes fight Aldana. And I'm actually an Aldana fan. I like her. I don't think she's a great fighter, but I, I just like the way she fights. But like I'll watch the Nunes fight with her fighting Aldana just because it's Nunes. Like you want to see Nunes fights. Like the WWE, like they're big guys. Like Roman Reigns only fights on pay per view. You know, Nunes only fights on pay per view. She doesn't fight on fight night. But I just think from a marketing perspective, like you talk about these big super fights and these mega fights. And like, if they'd re-signed Naganu, Naganu versus Jones would have been arguably the biggest fight in the history of the UFC. A hundred percent would have. And, you know, like Jones's return was still heavily talked about, but if it was Jones versus Naganu. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, from a UFC fan, like, I'm glad that fight went the way it did because Cyril Gaon is a very good fighter, but he's very boring to watch. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy, you know, who's going to go out there and be the aggressor. He's not a guy who's going to throw, you know, a hundred punches. He's he, he's a guy who basically is going to do just enough to win, and it works for him. And I respect the fact that it works for him. But I'm glad Bones Jones took him down in the first round because if that thing had gone five rounds, it would have been an incredibly boring fight for Bones's return. Yeah, versus him and Naganu just slugging it out would have been an incredible fight. It really would have been. 100%. And then the one thing I would also like, you know, to add on, you know, in the, in comparison, because we talked about UFC's, uh, or not UFC's, but PFL's tournament tournament system, um, bracket system. But the probably, you, and you kind of mentioned the UFC, it's like, you know, when Naganu turns over the belt, you know, yeah, he was slated to fight John Jones, and now you got to, panning to try to find someone to fill that slot who you know who that takes it on and you know you could end up like that leads to long-standing contract negotiations that take way too damn long fights get pushed back and all that and it's like eventually like all right just give me someone the fight because i'm supposed to have my contract supposed to have four fights this year i gotta get these fights under my belt and Naganu's contract's interesting, too, because typically with a name that big, they don't let it get to his final fight before they try to renew it. Yeah. And so, you know, like with Conor McGregor, for example, like McGregor's never going to be on the last fight of his contract. He's always going to get a new contract before his is set to expire because I don't want to go through what they went through with Naganu of taking him out to dinner God knows how many times in order to try to talk him into staying. Um. But I just think it's it's interesting that the reason he left is because he has a very different opinion of the direction the UFC should go and that he got essentially an ownership stake within PFL. Because if he feels like PFL is already different, the UFC is going the wrong direction, he could be a huge advocate for change for the PFL that might actually take it to a level where it competes with the UFC on a, a weekly basis. I mean, it just, it goes back to like, you know, you know, if you're, if you're in Dana White's seat and you, and, you know, I think you, you, you or myself, if we're in Dana White's seat, but don't think like Dana White yeah. and if Nagano comes to us and says, Hey, I want these three essential 
but very basic things to be part of my contract and to be yeah. added to the UFC. It's just like it it's one of those cases where it makes way too much fucking sense to not happen, but of course it doesn't happen. No, exactly. And and I think there was a point in time where it would have made sense for the UFC. I think there was a point in time where they were small enough compared to the other sports out there to where, you know, health insurance for 150 fighters, whatever the roster is, the roster might be like 200 now, but really not. It would have been a big deal. Now you're a billion dollar industry who also owns the WWE. It's not too big of a deal now. And I'd actually be curious with that because I don't know the answer to this. I would assume fighters in the WWE probably have health insurance. So if you're now owned by the same company, can you give health insurance to WWE fighters and not UFC fighters without a revolt? <laughs> You're no worse than Vince McMahon, Dana White. How the fuck does that feel? <laughs> Vince McMahon just has better quotes. It's the only difference. <laughs> and to answer your question, the total roster right now in the UFC, or as as of January 22nd of this year, the total roster set to the UFC is 578 fighters. It's a much bigger number than I would have expected, but okay. Um, but even still, I mean, health insurance is what on the high end, we'll say $50 a month per fighter for 500 people. At the end of the day, if you're a billion dollar industry, which they are, $50 a month times 500 is $25,000 a month. You're telling me the UFC can't afford $25,000 a month to take care of the health care of their fighters. So literally their entire career comes down to their health. So it also is fair to know, I just looked this up. WWE superstars do not get health insurance. Interesting. And the, and the claim by from Stephanie McMahon is because they are considered independent contractors, which means they are not granted the same benefits as employees that, that, that other employees will receive. So in in other words, what you're saying is if you work as like an HR person for the WWE, you get health insurance. But if you're the big show, you don't. If you work in payroll for the WWE, your health insurance is taken care of. But if you're Roman Reigns, you got to pay for yourself there, bud. Correct. That's unbelievable. And I guarantee you that is the exact same mindset that Dana White is going off of oh, like you are your independent employee, independent well, contractor. Yeah, his argument would be if you're on a three fight contract, what are we doing? Your fight expires when you cancel the health insurance, they go on Cobra. Just like you fire a person from a real job, not renewing their contract is the same as you firing them saying you're not good enough for your performance. I just two sports. I mean, once one sport and one entertainment series where in both cases, the entire factor is the damage and toll that is done to someone's body. But we're not going to help them take care of themselves because they're independent contractors. Yeah. And also that in the case of the WWE, you're doing steroids on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your body's falling apart pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, and same case if you're John Jones. And then I say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I heard actually literally today uh, from a dude who used to fight in the UFC that I was talking to um, that the UFC, when you're injured, doesn't drug test because you don't have a fight coming up. And so any injured fighter in the UFC just does a buttload of steroids and that gets them back to health faster so they can fight sooner, um, which makes Great. a lot of sense. 
makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, then that goes back to then when you stop doing the steroids, because now you do get drug tested, your body falls apart. So you need health insurance. Yay. It's just a fun fucking circle that goes round and round and round until you drop dead at 40. Yep. C-T-E. C-T-E. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Another group of people, I would say, that are highly in support of CTE or don't know how to like protect against it would probably be high school coaches, Jeremy. And I, I know that. Youth coaches as well. Youth coaches as well. And I know this is your second topic of the week that you wanted to discuss. Yep. Let's dive into it. So I find it interesting that at the high school level, there's no certification process that goes into being a high school coach. And each state kind of individually has like certain requirements. Like in Colorado to be a head coach, I had to do uh, basically a sexual harassment course, a Mm -hmm. a concussion course, and basically a course from NFHS, National Federation of High School, because we're in NFHS state, that essentially just said, hey, don't be a dick and yell and swear at kids. I'm like, all right, cool, guys. And that was a 10-minute course. Um, And so I guess, you know, there's a thousand stories out there. My buddy here in Charlotte is coaching a rising ninth grade team. They played zone this weekend because they were losing. And the coach from the other team comes up to him after the game and just berates them about the fact that they're running a zone in club ball. And he's like, dude, you guys were beating us nine nothing. Like, What did you want us to do, man? And so I'm sorry we made adjustments. I'm sorry that you weren't prepared. It's just run your man up stuff. It'll work the exact same as we had one less guy. Um, but so I guess that just kind of got me thinking, got me onto the topic of how do we fix high school coaching and, and youth coaching for that matter to the point where it's not just like a dad out there who has no idea what he's doing, either giving the kids a terrible experience or teaching them the wrong things and you know, I think there's a thousand layers we can go into this. So I just, you know, kind of want to just go into like sort of the base, like, you know, high end level of this. But, you know, like and for me, like I take it more personal. Like I, I lost to a coach who was wearing jeans this season on the sidelines, which is really personal for me because at the college level, like it's your career. So you're professional. You wear khakis, you wear a polo, like you don't show up in fucking jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. And so, you know, that aside, because that's kind of the less important piece of it, like, how do we, without sacrificing high school athletics and the opportunity for young men and women to participate in them, give them better coaching, or I guess a more unified sense of coaching that's actually monitored and not just, oh, well, this athletic director paid no attention. And so that guy just screamed at the kids and they never want to play again. It's... It's a weird, it's a weird crossroad because I, and to to be truly honest here, man, I don't know if I have an, I've been trying to figure one. I don't know if I have an answer for you. I've been thinking all fucking day. And and it's like, and for me, it's like, you know, I've been in two different perspectives. One, I grew up and played high school youth sports in Colorado. And now I've last three years I've lived in, dallas texas and how dallas texas treats youth in high school sports is on such a higher fucking level compared to colorado where colorado you know it vastly depends on where in the state you live and what school you go to like prime example you know i know you were living in denver and coaching in the denver school system schools like cherry creek um 
Christian Valor, you know, those schools, like things like that, those private schools and those large public schools, they treat like your coaches and your assistant coaches and strength and conditioning coaches and, and, and trainers. Like those are full-time careers where it's like you go yeah. down to, you go down to Colorado Springs and you go to Manitou Springs high school where I went to school or you went to, um, or, or St. Mary's or rivals, which is a big Catholic school in Colorado Springs. Yeah, they got coaching jobs, but it's treated as a secondary. Like, hey, you want an extra hundred bucks a week? Yeah. No, and, I get that. And and even some of the private schools in Denver, though, like I wasn't a full time employee the one I was at. They essentially paid me like a, a public school coach as a guy who had a private school. They also wanted to help them recruit and to be there for incoming freshman days and all this other shit that doesn't go into making six grand a year to be a head coach. What? What the fuck is a public school in Colorado doing recruiting? Uh, we're private. Oh, you okay? I was, I was okay. I thought you was a, all right. That makes a lot more sense because the so that it makes a bigger question. What the fuck is a private school doing? Paying a coach like a public school teacher? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And truthfully, even in Denver, I mean, the only schools like Valor Christian and probably Regis Jesuit, maybe Colorado Academy are the only schools that are like, oh, you're going to be our head coach and we're going to find you a full-time job outside of like football because football is its own beast, right? Like yeah. the football coach at the schoolhouse coaching at is also like their facilities guy because they're like, well, we need to pay you enough to be able to do both. So here you go, facilities. It's, this is your job now. <laughs> I mean, kind of makes sense. Manitou, our head coach my senior year was our facilities manager as well. He was yeah, exactly. he was a groundskeeper. It's a pretty straightforward job, and you can pay him as much as you want to do something other than just coach. So it does make sense. But no, and and I don't know, man. I I'd, I'm obviously very biased. Coming from the college level, things are very different. Like yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different animal altogether. And not to say there's not bad coaches at the college level because there is, but typically when that's your full-time job and your athletic director their full-time job is to make sure you're succeeding if you're a bad coach at the college level you're out a lot quicker yeah um and so i think it's 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 kind of two-tiered for me but you know looking to the college level there's every year and i can only speak for lacrosse but in lacrosse there's a college coaches convention and not everybody goes to it because there's a fee involved because you have to rent the facility people have to get there whatever right but the IMLCA Coaches Convention is actually a really cool thing. It's it's five, six days. And the first like three, four days are all conference meetings and like, you know, administrative stuff. So like athletic directors will go to that sometimes too. Coaches will go, you know, you have conference meetings for every school. So like you'll go then and take care of it. And you don't have to worry about it the rest of the year. But then the next three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, are all coaches literally teaching other coaches. So like I presented a couple of years ago on uh, like face off wing play was my topic. They were like, yeah, a lot of other stuff's taken. You're an assistant. So like, you're not like high profile. Like here's a couple of topics that nobody's taken. I'm like, all right, cool. Face off wing play. I'll talk about it for a half hour. Be good to go. Um, but I always took something really good out of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always came out of it like thinking I knew more about the game than I did going into it. And obviously you're not going to be on that level necessarily, but if you offered every year in every state, like a coaches convention for coaches coaching that sport, ideally, I mean, if you charge, you know, you have to pay dues to be in whatever you're in every year, like Chassa, you have to pay dues to be in Chassa. Mm -hmm. So like if you're already paying Chassa dues, just put an extra 50 bucks in there, like per sport. And then, um, you know, you can afford to have a convention where, you know, not on the level of the IMLCA, where it's like coaches, coaching coaches, 
maybe you bring in like two or three college coaches for a couple hundred bucks and have them coach basics of the game of lacrosse for the guys that don't know it. Or, you know, in the case of football, basics of the game of football. Um, and not just like, you know, it wasn't always just X's and O's stuff at these conventions. They talk about like, how do we structure our practices? How do we run a program? What do we do for discipline? All that kind of stuff, right? Like the keynote speaker a few times, John Gordon did it once. The guy that rode the energy bus, Eric Kapitulik from the program, which is uh, like a ex Navy SEAL, um, spoke a couple of times about culture and team building and all that kind of stuff. And I think if you offer that and say, hey, you've already paid for it, come, the guys who aren't as qualified won't become All-American coaches overnight, but they'll at least get themselves to a spot where they're better than they were and hopefully giving a better experience than they were. They probably hold their ground, and those smaller schools are probably taking away something a little bit more than what they would have had. Yeah, and just becoming better than they would have been otherwise because they're not going to go out of their way to figure it out on their own, right? And I think the other part of this is just the oversight that goes into it. Um, you know, in, in Colorado, I can only speak for Chassa, but we could rate our officials after every game, and they did literally <laughs> they did literally nothing about it. The final game of the year, I had the most unbelievable experience in my coaching career that one of my players got flagged literally for going palms up. He goes to the penalty box, goes palms up, and the guy flags him for putting his hands in the air. And I snapped and got penalized as well. I got a flag thrown on me um, for that. But point being is nothing came of it. Like, I put that in. I was like, hey, this isn't a thing. You can't flag a guy for that. And it happened. And I guarantee nothing happened. I guarantee this guy was wrapping a playoff game a week later. So, I mean, the oversight from the states, not just from the school, because each individual athletic director, some athletic directors don't have a spine. You complain about a coach, the AD is going to do nothing. So you need a state oversight and then you need the state oversight to actually act on it. If a guy is getting one or two complaints, whatever, everybody gets one or two. I'm sure I got a plenty this year. If you got 10. Yeah. If consistently every game, there's like three, four, five complaints coming in then the state's got to have a guy who's full-time to step in there and act and do something about it. And as a result, make it a better experience for the kids. I mean, I think also like one of the biggest problems, and I could speak this on Chastity playing in, growing up in Colorado, is Chastity refs are legitimately just parents. That's yes. that's all it is. It is like, it is lesser than a part-time job. And, you know, the, looking at the refs and looking at some of the coaching that we had, you know, as an 18 year old myself and again, some of my friends were always looking at, I, I like, we were always wishing that there was more of a, of a mandate of like how you hired refs and how you hired coaches, even if it was for a three, a school in like in mountain Colorado Springs of but like, the issue hey, is that nobody wants to do it. That is. Yes. That is a, when, ma- and the kicker to the whole thing is like, so we played in Denver, which is obviously the biggest city in Colorado by a wide margin. Mm-hmm. We had two games the entire year in Denver where I thought the officiating was good. And one of them was because we had the state assigner and the state rules interpreter refing the game together. Mm-hmm. The best official we had the entire year, though, wasn't even them. We played in Vail this year, which is two hours outside of the city in the mountains. The best crew we had the entire year was in Vail. So, like, you can find good mountain refs, but then you have to let them train the other ones. And the issue is they don't really let them do that. And I get that there's a shortage of coaches. I get that there's a shortage of refs. But I guess for me, it just comes back to what I've talked about before on plaster negotiations a lot of times. is like not every school should have athletics. It shouldn't be a right to have athletics for your school. It should be a privilege. Now, those kids should still be allowed to play. But what happens, because in Colorado this happens with a few schools, 
you just go to the closest school to you and you yep. play there. I was just about to say that because when I went to school, we had a I knew of a, of a uh, you know a couple of girls that played softball, and so they went up to, up the road to to yeah. a four A school, played on their softball team. You know, one of my good friends in high school, he he played tennis. He went up the road to that same high school, was on their yeah. tennis team. And, it- and Colorado's different because of open enrollment. So in Colorado, you can enroll in any high school within your district. So if you live in, uh, like, you know, if you live in Douglas County, you can go to any high school in Douglas County. And you just say, that's just where I want to go. Yep. So in Colorado is unique because you already have that. So going to another school, like, you can choose to go to a school that has that sport then if you want to. Um, and I get that in every school in every state it's going to be different because in some states it'd be hard to say, well, your school just doesn't have sports now. But I'd argue that that's better to have to go 15 minutes down the road to play than to have a horrible high school experience and be stuck at that school with a terrible coach. I agree. And I think that just goes back to like, you know, what I wish Chassa would do. And I think like states like Texas you know, with their sports, I don't know if they do or not. I'm just kind of the way they Texas approaches coaching. It kind of makes me feel like they do, but I wish Chassa would like, like implement guidelines. Like, Hey, like we get, you want to coach, but like, we need to see what your knowledge of the game is. We need to see what yeah. your experience is. Even if it's like, yeah, you were assistant coach for three years. You still had experience. Um, you also need, I also think at the same time, like one of the rules that I hated the most was requiring that coach to be a district employee because my my junior my junior year like um we were my junior year we were looking for a new football coach and a guy a guy um interview for the position he was coming up from new mexico and i don't know i can't remember his name but he was supposed to be like a very good very renowned high school football coach Right, and we like when when he got word to us of like, hey, this is who the hire is gonna be, and it was essentially like a done deal. We were hyped to like, all right, we're getting a new perspective from we're going and we're going down a completely right. different road. Well, superintendent of the district sect in was like, no, you can't hire him. He has to be. You have to hire someone that's district currently district employee. So dumb. Thankfully, they've gone away from that, as far as I understand. Um, thankfully, but. Yeah, it's stupid. Again, like, we we looked out the, the candidate. Yeah, just get the best candidate. We looked out that the coach we ended up being, who was the groundskeeper for the high school, he, you know, he played for that. He played all four years for the for my high school and had done some coaching offside, so he had experience. Yeah. But it was like you had a dude that's entire career was built around high school coaching that wants to come here and coach. Yeah, but you're not going to hire him. Well, no, 100%. And shame on districts just in general, man, because the thing that goes with that as well, you know, you're not going to hire this guy, you're not going to hire that guy. Like, our last game of the season, because it was two bad teams playing each other, we only had two officials because they couldn't find us a third because the rest of them were taken. And I'm like, all right, well, I get that to some extent, but in theory, it shouldn't matter if it's bad teams or good teams. The whole point of having three officials is player safety. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with making sure the best team wins. It's making sure to do with the fact that nobody gets injured. And so to say, oh, well, you two teams are bad, so you get one less official because you don't have enough. Shame on you as a fucking state organization, then, that you're just mm-hmm. okay with the fact that that's the case. Like, you need to find some other officials somewhere. If that means paying more, then pay more. If that means doing something else, do something else. But the fact that we can go into a high school contact sport game and say, no, we don't have enough officials, but just play with less, that's fine, completely defeats the entire purpose of having any official to begin with. I mean, the cross, the cross is such a – you play on such a large field and it's such a fast-moving sport. Do you really think that two officials is going to cover that entire ground? 
Absolutely, no. absolutely fucking not. Someone's going to get the shit absolutely rocked, and it's going to be a penalty, and no one's going to catch it. Especially two that have big enough egos to flag a guy for putting his palms up, but not important. Um, yeah, no, I just, I just think there's, I don't know, we cut the corners in all the wrong places. And for me, and I guess to kind of sum this whole thing up where we're cutting corners as a high school state organization is in all the wrong places, because yep. if we're cutting it as a school in the coaching budget, which realistically you see your student athletes more than their individual teachers do. If you see a teacher for one period a day, you see him for 90 minutes Student athlete, you're seeing a coach for two hours of practice plus every day. You're actually seeing them more than a teacher does and getting paid nothing. Um, and then with the officiating, yeah, like I don't know where this budget's going that we need like 30 administrators working for Chassa. Fire half your administrators and pay the refs twice as much. We're telling them they can stay on, but they have to ref a game twice a week. Like where is this money going, this tax dollar money going that we can't find enough officials to ref games? Yeah, I mean – and people wonder why youth sports and high school sports are starting to die off and become such significant and minor things in yeah. the in the academic system. Well, and the game struggles as a result. And, and so, you know, weird example here, but it makes a lot of sense. I'll tie it together. So as an official in the game of lacrosse, and I don't know how it's written in other sports, but in the game of lacrosse, your job is to be on the field 20 minutes before the game, and you're supposed to stay on the field through handshakes, and then you can leave. We didn't a single time this year have an official stay in the game through handshakes because there's so few officials. We get the same guys over and over. They know how upset the coaches already are at them. And they leave before the handshakes happen. So in theory, if you get ejected during a handshake because you throw a fight, you're still ejected for the next game. You're suspended. The suspension happens. If a fight breaks out when an official's not on the field, nothing comes of it because there's nobody to discipline. So the refs aren't doing their jobs to the way they're supposed to again to ensure player safety because we don't have enough of them and that goes back to the point that then you just shouldn't have athletics then if we can't get to that point chassa needs to take a year off and reevaluate themselves at that point then and isn't that an absolute moment of truth that is an absolute moment of truth george santos to be proud and i think that's where we need to go off into our next segment to close off this show is the george santos moment of absolute truth um as always, every week that we, you know, we you find you find a moment, you find a person that they do something where it's just so so fucking stupid that they just look like they're lying out of their ass, just like our great U.S. Congressman George Santos out of New York. For me, I'm gonna run off, start off with this one, Jeremy. For me, I'm going with Laker fans. Why? Because they double down, triple down, quadruple down. On their team, you know, thinking they deserve everything coming their way, that they deserve the NBA finals, they deserve, they think they deserve every call from the refs. You got the national media backing them and in every little fucking aspect. Well, they got swept last night. And what was the immediate thought out of out of Laker fans? Well, that was the best team to ever get swept by the NBA finals. I don't you lose you one. Yeah, it's like hey, Lakers have to feel good about where they are for next year with a 39-year-old LeBron that's contemplating retirement because of how we played in this series. Lakers in nine. No, you fucking idiots. He, he won't retire. He wants to play with Bronny, who will go undrafted after he leaves USC after a year. It'd be fucking hilarious, too. Um going to happen. But, no, it's just like, you motherfuckers, you think you're so goddamn entitled. 
because you're the Los Angeles Lakers and that your 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 franchise should just be handed everything like you're like the godsend of the basketball when you're not. Everyone fucking hates you and you disappear from the face of the earth. No one would complain. So you can morally you could think it's Lakers and Nines, but reality is you're gonna go sit on the fucking couch and watch the Denver Nuggets play in the NBA finals. Um so have a nice summer, bitch. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> And then at the end of the summer, be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, we would have won if the Nuggets, uh, if they hadn't, we were better than, uh, you know, the Heat. We would have beaten the Heat if the Nuggets hadn't beaten us. Yeah, but you you, you tell yourselves that with D'Angelo Russell over there shooting just the horrible threes. Yeah. But, yeah, no, so just moment of absolute truth is that Laker fans are just hiding and lying to themselves, thinking – Thinking that everything's gonna be okay. It's, yeah. it's 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 not. No one cares about you anymore. It's not at all. You trade away Westbrook, and now your team's somehow worse. Anthony Davis should retire. LeBron should retire. Fucking all of them should just retire. You know how they always say that old dogs go off in the woods to die alone under a tree. That's the entire organization right now. Yeah. <laughs> the Laker dog. <laughs> the Laker dogs under some tree in the woods. Yeah, the, uh, the Phoenix Coyotes are looking to relocate. Maybe then the Lakers just go die off in the forest together at this point. I thought the Coyotes already did die. Yeah, a few years ago. Um, that's uh, a solid one. So my moment of truth, you know, for years and years, I've been preaching the fact that Terminator is a documentary, not a science fiction film, because it's true. Stand by. But it. my moment of truth is something else might kill us first, and it's the orcas. So I came across a story this week. That off the coast of Spain, they've had three ships in the past couple of years here sunk by a trio of killer whales. So they think it's a mom whale who had like a traumatic experience with a boat. And so now she's just going ham on every boat she sees. And apparently she taught her two baby whales how to do what she does. And so a German guy uh, <laughs> from Germany's Total Yacht magazine basically described that two little orcas observed the bigger one's technique and with a slight run-up they too slammed into the boat so apparently <laughs> want to ask how long it takes to sink a boat if you're a killer whale it sounds like the answer is about an hour because it's happened two times now um both times not a single person was killed not a single person was eaten by the whales or messed with the whale no the whale just sunk the boat and then uh these people were rescued and then the boat the whale just swam away um so apparently two pieces of this one apparently whales are working as uh boat sinking gangs now to take them down in the spanish sea this is amazing Two, for how much we talk about the titanic hitting an iceberg the titanic might have hit a whale or been sunk by a whale because <laughs> orcas are the actual terminator in this scenario so my george santos moment of absolute truth Orcas are going to be the ones to overthrow the planet, not Terminators. Oh, I can't wait for James Cameron's next fucking sci-fi movie. Whale Terminator? <laughs> the Whaleinator? Whaleinator. <laughs> Orca Day. Yep. <laughs> Judgment they Orca. They apparently also tried at least two other times to sink a boat, but the boat got away those times. So this is like a recurring thing in the Spanish Sea. Wait until these whales leave the Spanish Sea and teach the other whales in the ocean. You won't be able to pirate ever. I hope so. I hope that we have a like someone listening that is very good at like editing videos and like putting things into videos that don't belong. Because they put a whale-inator together. Well, no, I no. What I want to see is like I'm assuming you've seen Terminator Two. 
Oh, yeah. I've seen every Terminator, bro. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just trying to study for when it happens. That's fair. But you got to learn their weaknesses before you can figure out how to take them down. That's very fair. And now apparently we have to do it with whales. Um, but my what I really want to see is the whole like um, semi-truck chase at, yeah. at the beginning, like in the first half of the, of the second movie. Is I want someone to like, instead of having the T-1000 cop in the driver's seat of the semi-truck, I need a fucking killer whale driving and i i just i want to see that semi truck come flying off the bridge explode and there's just a whale just driving chasing after arnie you know for years people have been crapping on the japanese for trying to take out the whales but they're really just being preventative at this point honestly they're the real heroes here <laughs> the reality is south park knew it they knew <laughs> it was you whale and fuck you dolphin it wasn't because of world war ii they're coming after santa Connor. they're trying to take over the world <laughs> oh my god i am so happy right now <laughs> look we got sharknado we got cocaine bear we're getting whaleinator next whaleinator fuck yes <laughs> we're copywriting that right now anybody trying to make this movie listening to the show we're copywriting that but you we'll let you make it but i need the semi-truck scene still (laughs) maybe that's how we start the movie what happens is the semi-truck crashes and it flies up and the whale winds up in the ocean and that's why it's so perturbed and just trying to take everything out is because it's still trying to find its prey are you on this boat oh no okay and what I'm going to go on a dark path here real quick. You remember that whole documentary about Blackfish, about mm-hmm. the about the whale that killed two trainers at SeaWorld? Yep. Yeah, that was the first whale in Nader. That one actually came back in time, and it just it, and when it came back in time, they just accidentally ended up in a fucking fish tank. <laughs> just teleported to the wrong place. Yeah, just the wrong place at the wrong fucking time. You fuckers were off on your coordinates, goddammit! <laughs> oh, my God. That is amazing, Jeremy. I'm so happy now. What I'm here for. Ah, uh, well, awesome. This has been a great fucking sobs episode. Always a blast uh, hanging out with you, Benner. Always Never a blast hanging out with you, Draven Wrangler. Yeah, the more chaos we can cause, the fucking better. But guys, this has been Sports Off Broad Street. I've been Ryan Benner. That's been Jeremy Phelps. Hopefully, we'll have Stoltz here, Big Zoe on soon. But until next time, thanks for joining us, fuckers.